Warning, this episode may contain coughing and other signs of a challenged immune system. However, I've engaged the biofilters, so it's not contagious. Welcome to VSI, Variation Selection Inheritance, a podcast production of the National Science Foundation's Beacon Center for the Study of Evolution and Action. I'm Randall Hayes. I rediscovered Baba Brinkman this week. He's completely revamped his website, although he's still doing the name-your-own-price business model. He calls it an experiment in altruism. I used his song, The Evolution of Gayness, with my honors class this week. Whenever I can, I use current events to teach the techniques of argument. We were talking about the upcoming vote for a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage in North Carolina, despite the fact that it's already illegal. And I'm still trying to figure out what my students actually believe on this issue. They didn't like the idea that homosexuality is inherited, as a liberal might. Neither did they like the idea that it's contagious, as a conservative might. They laughed at that idea, but it was a nervous, guilty sort of laughter. I didn't get as far as addressing whether they want to believe it is entirely a personal choice. They seemed most comfortable to say, it might be a lot of things, and move on. It's that surface-level, lazy thinking that the course is designed to try to get people to move past. Our embrace of political correctness has led us to avoid confrontation of actually trying to figure out difficult questions. My students are constantly saying, Oh, everyone has an opinion. I think this is a strategy that will backfire on us as a culture. Tolerance born of good times and ignorance tends to melt away when times get tough and competition for resources ramps up. That is a specific prediction of evolutionary science, and we see it playing out in human affairs all the time. People were much less concerned about illegal immigration when the economy was booming. Baba lays out four possibilities for biological inheritable homosexuality as it happens across the animal kingdom. Then he attempts to eliminate each possibility with some kind of argument by analogy where he compares the animal situation to the human case. Gayness. Hypothesis 1. Gays are a non-reproductive caste, like we find in termites and naked mole rats. To me, though, that doesn't seem convincing, because gay people don't obsessively feed their breeding siblings. Hypothesis 2. It's a social lubricant that's used to smooth tension. Instead of fighting, we smooch with them. You'll find guy on guy and girl on girl action and bonobos and Asian stump-tailed macaques, and it's a proven tactic. But they're just bisexual. That's the third hypothesis, that homo is side-effectual, like with albatrosses. The females meet with each other when there's not enough males to pull their weight, but it's not like they just can't find a man and get impatient. They're fully same-sex mimic males are for insemination, and maybe lesbians who wanted babies made the same exception in the days before IVF and turkey basters. And on the flip side, we've got the sneaky males. In many species, some males mimic females, so they can mate without having to compete with the alphas who guard females jealously and treat them like they're helpless. I mean, come on, I know guys who act gay until the girls let their guard down, and then they're like, hey, which may explain why some of the biggest homo The fourth possibility is the one he seems to prefer, the chemical one, that the molecular mechanisms for driving mate choice are simply different in gay people. Of course, as a liberal, he avoids the homosexuality as a disease can of worms, with all its implications of treatment or cure. He focuses instead on the idea that genes can have multiple effects, 
that gayness might be offset by a massive fertility increase in females. Let me give you a clearer and better documented example. David Sloan Wilson had a chapter in Evolution for Everyone where he talked about a serotonin receptor that made female monkeys assertive, but that made male monkeys into crazy-ass risk-takers. This was not good for them, as it led to a lot of premature male deaths. Normally, a dangerous trait like that would be selected away, but the advantage to their mothers and sisters was so large that it spread through the population anyway. Baba says homosexuality could be something like that. Actually, there's a very nice paper from 2008 by an Australian group suggesting something even more interesting. What if you can be too masculine or too feminine? This assumes that gender identity is not a single trait, but a quantitative trait, one that varies on a bell curve like height and skin color do. So there could be an average sexual orientation with some people on either end being super straight or super gay. So the question is, do slightly feminized straight men have more female sexual partners than overly masculine men? In other words, is being highly attractive a risk factor for being gay? The Australian study says yes, using a complicated design that I won't go into here. Maybe I can get one of the authors on the show to explain it. But on a more intuitive level, doesn't that idea explain a lot about the popularity of boy bands? That's all the time we have for this week, given that my voice is giving out. Minus one last plug. BSI now has a page on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash Podcast. All one word. That is, if you're into that whole social media thing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. VSI is produced by me, Randall Hayes, at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University with funding from the National Science Foundation. Thanks for listening.